You're listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. Interference Archive is a social space, exhibition venue, and OpenStax archive of social movement materials. Our work is rooted in the belief that our shared histories should be held in common and accessible to all. I'm Louise Barry. In this episode of Audio Interference, we're in London, talking about the history of the squatting movement. So this area is called, I remember now, Norton Foldgate, which is a very, very old name because we are, we're just outside the, the walls of the city of London. So this was suburbia, and so lots of things were allowed to happen here that weren't allowed in the city. And Shakespeare's original globe is just round the corner. Christopher Marlowe stabbed someone to death in these streets. So it's got a lot of history, but yeah, in in the 70s, it was under de- it was under threat from development um, of office blocks, and it was squatted by probably art student architecture students. Um, they they were really hardcore in those days, and local fairly well-off community, and a lot of this was was saved. That was the voice of Mike Seatland. I am a volunteer at the Advisory Service for Squatters, have been for 21 years. The Advisory Service for Squatters was founded in 1975, when squatting in London became a mass movement in response to the city's housing crisis. In some neighbourhoods, entire blocks were occupied by squatters, sometimes for years. Um, my name's uh, Greg Ryan. came to London in 87 from Dublin. I was involved in the squatting movement in the 80s. Yeah, I came for a weekend and failed to leave. (laughs) Mike and Greg showed me some of the areas of London that have been transformed by squatting. This is where, in so in the late 70s, Bengali community campaigners who, who were sick of getting housed in bits of Tower Hamlets where they were constantly under attack from white racists teamed up with local activists, local squatters, and squatted a load of empty houses around here in Fieldgate Street. There was a big campaign. The GLC eventually negotiated with them and and said, well, where would you feel safe? Where would you like to live? And they said round here and all the way up um, through Spitalsfields, up Brick Lane, and particularly where I now live on the Boundary Estate, that became... Well, this, you know, this became a, a Bengali area because of the struggles that took place here. I mean, what, what happened here in the 70s was, you know, as part of the political campaign, pressure was put on local councils to buy places up that had been bought by developers. And there's a place called Tolmer Square that was bought up by developers. The same thing was happening. The office blocks were moving up um, from central London into Camden which was all working-class housing. And so there was a big confrontation in one square. Maybe the squatting movements of the 70s, I mean, they were successful for their participants in that it improved their lives. And you could say also for the second wave of squatting in the mid to late 80s. You know, like speaking personally, like sort of squatting gave me 
the stability I needed to kind of get an education, and that actually improved my my employment prospects. Uh, met my partner, you know, sort of like <laughs> lots of stuff happened. Oh, yeah. You know, like had lots of great experiences. If I didn't like the people I was living with. I would go and open another squat and get people I like to live with to live with me. <laughs> that all, was so all liberating. Other, all the other way around. If you didn't like someone who was living with you, you would open another squat for them yeah, and move move once. their possessions in <laughs> while they're out and say you're not living here anymore you're living around the corner <laughs> that i never did it myself but it happened in one squat i was I when i was away out, but i did actually really somewhere. help help them like i took a crowbar went changed the locks and said here's keys for you you can move you don't have to we don't have to have these arguments <laughs> so you said people don't squat in this area anymore very little and if they do generally they try and keep it very a very low profile. <laughs> yeah. In 2012, the UK government made it illegal to squat a residential building. So section 144 of the Legal Aid, Sentencing and Punishment of Offenders Bill, LASPO, basically states that it's a criminal offence to be living or intending to live in a residential building. Specifically, the law prohibits living or intending to live in a residential building as a trespasser. That this law is, is unfair, it's pointless, it's leaving properties empty, it's, uh, it's benefiting private landlords who, who benefit from, from being able to keep their properties empty, um, and that's affecting everyone, plus it's criminalising people that are homeless. Hi, I'm James, I'm from Squatters Action for Secure Homes, the squash campaign. The squash campaign lobbied to prevent the passing of Section 144 in 2012. Now they are campaigning to repeal the law. I spoke to James about some of the effects of Section 144. I guess having a criminal sanction on it uh, is, is a massive deterrent. And because residential buildings, they're much more habitable. I think by taking that out of the equation, then basically it's you, you, you're squatting much more difficult buildings. Other ones that are extremely derelict and takes a lot of work. They just don't have the basic facilities, and so yeah, I think that's 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 been a big part of well, definitely in changing dynamics of squatting. There's definitely decreasing sightings down to sort of hardcore or quite desperate people that are in quite desperate situations. It's a very difficult life in terms of you know, staying somewhere for three weeks and then having to move to somewhere else for three weeks. So every time you've got to crack a building, you've got to secure it, clean it up. So you're just constantly moving. The law has also empowered landlords to be more aggressive. And now landlords are using things like IPO, interim possession orders, a lot more, which is a real fast track way of uh, reclaiming their building. So, you, you know, after the court rules, you get 24 hours and the bailiffs can come. Landlords just, you know, will get an IPO, order the high court bailiffs or the private security and then just, just evict people quite quickly. If you had to estimate how many abandoned buildings do you think there are? In London, I believe there's something like 28,000 long-term empty properties. That's over six months empty. Uh, nationwide, there's something like 610,000 empty residential properties and this is not including commercial. It's probably an underestimation that, you know, obviously a lot of them are reclassified as derelict or something like that, so they don't fall under the empty, empty homes figures. But Section 144 has done more than create new challenges for squatters. It's not just squatting, it's also about homelessness, street homelessness. Um, it's also uh, about gentrification, it's also um, about property guardians. Can you say a little more about the property guardians? Shall I maybe explain what property guardians are? It's uh, property guardians are a 
is a private company. The landlord pays the property guardian company to put the guardians in. Uh, the property guardians themselves, who are just uh, sort of people looking for accommodation, they pay rent to the property guardian company. Uh, and so basically people are paying kind of near market rents to 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 live in something that that's equivalent to a squat perhaps in terms of very basic and uh, doesn't have any facilities not covered by any sort of tenancy law um, it's extremely uh, tenuous and they can they can enter your property and kick you out within a week um, they can they can enter your room um, if they want to whenever they want to uh, so so this is it's really putting people in a sort of terrible position plus it's making money for a lot of uh, very dubious dubious organizations basically by criminalizing squatting it's actually started this whole industry which is a sort of commodification of empty buildings and it's it's making money out of this phenomena is it possible that squatting in non-residential buildings will be criminalized next even if they do criminalize it as they say whatever they say squatting will stay At the Advisory Service for Squatters, Mike Zietlin and the other volunteers provide daily advice for squatters trying to stay in their homes. With the passing of the new law in 2012, they've had to change their approach. I mean, at the time we read through the law, we could give advice based on what the law actually said. So there's sort of loopholes. So if you're not, if you're not squatting, if you're not squatting to live somewhere, but just for a protest then that's fine. If the place isn't residential, that's fine. If you're not squatting, you've actually got a license from somebody who has a right to give you a license or you think has a right to give you a license, then you're not breaking the law. Someone came to you and said, I'm squatting in a residential building and I'm terrified the police are going to come to my door. So if people have been, have been in a place for some time, then automatically you could argue that they've got a license. The, the owner's not interested. They're allowing them to be there. You're not trespassing. You're being allowed to be there. Now, so, we, so we'd encourage people to um, develop a narrative <laughs> on the basis that they're not squatting. I mean, some people don't want to do that. Some people are proper, full-on hardcore squatters. They're, they're not going to compromise. They, they are going to stand up, say they're squatting, and take the consequences, which is fine. So yeah, the, the alternative is just that you, that you resist physically, but it, it wears people down. You, you can't have a life if you're constantly fighting for your building. It's not, it's not a long-term strategy. And so how long does someone usually have before they get kicked out? I'd, I'd say it probably an average of a couple of months in London now. You're, you're, you're lucky to get a few months, really. There are fewer squatters because of state repression, because of the way that the law has changed and the way that the police enforce that law. It is still legal to occupy a building as a form of political protest. Recently, there have been a number of high-profile protest squats in London. The first big group was um, Focus E15 mums, who were a bunch of single mothers in a hostel in Newham in East London, who were being evicted and told that... So it was a temporary hostel until the council found them somewhere, and they were then told, um, we will find you somewhere, but not in London. So they had this protest. They occupied a, a small block of 
about eight flats as a protest um, and we were a bit involved, we helped write them a special legal warning explaining. Since then there's recently been two Sisters Uncut um, protest occupations, one in South London, one that's still ongoing in Hackney. What would it take for squatting in London to return to the scale of the movement in the 70s? For there to be a similar kind of mass squatting movement, there would need to be a lot of available entities. And there are, that, you could, that no, nobody's going to try and throw you out immediately. They may throw you out, but not immediately. Um, and that isn't here at the moment. As long as the price of property is really, really high, that's not going to happen. I keep thinking, I mean, I, I've, I've seen a few generations of, of squatters come and go and I, I guess I spent the last 10 years at least thinking that there will be a new generation they will be the ones who will take things forward so I've been waiting for the new social subject of squatting for a long time now that's why I try to keep things going but <laughs> it's not happening is it or maybe it's just not happening here You've been listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. The archive is collectively run in volunteer power. If you like what you heard today, consider making a donation to help keep the archive up and running. Just go to interferencearchive.org and click on Donate. From all of us at Audio Interference, thanks for listening.